Well, friends, we're in week two of a sermon series, and I'm so excited because as we start this sermon series last week, it also reminds us that we are at the brand new beginning of a new year, 2023. I don't think I was used to writing 2022, and here we are in a brand new year. And with the new year, often people set new goals. They have new dreams. They have new desires, fresh starts. In fact, this past week, I've seen it seems like more people in the parking lots of of gyms, more people out on the hiking trails than I did back in December. I, I see more people signing up for things. I see people showing up at uh, various things throughout town. And it seems like there's always this, this thing that happens right at the beginning of the year where a lot of people are like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finally get in shape. Well, this sermon series that we're going through over these weeks that we started last week where Pastor Mike Morgan kicked us off is about us collectively getting in shape. Now, on one hand, this is more than just you individually getting in shape, though it's going to require you and me and each individual getting in shape for us to do what we really dream for, what we pray for, what we long for, is that our local body of Christ, that is the church, Bel Air Church, that we collectively would get into shape. You know, what's so fascinating is that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in other letters that he writes to the early church, one of the metaphors that he uses to describe the, the church, the people of God, the community of faith, is he uses this phrase. He calls it the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gets into some very specific details about that body of Christ. He goes so far to say that we individually are members that make up that body like an ear and a nose and an eye. And, and we can never have a, a posture of saying, I don't need you. Because in the same way that the whole of the human body needs every aspect of it to function properly, the same is true for the local church. We need one another. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've had my share, uh, fair share of uh, seasons of injury in my life. There's been seasons where I've dislocated my shoulder. I, I, maybe you've heard me say before, I've had back problems ever since high school. There's experiences where we can either get injured or we can have things get out of alignment and our physical body doesn't know how to function properly. In fact, you've heard me say before that a number of years ago, I had a doctor identify that the reason why I had a back issue ultimately was because I originally had an ankle issue that I never properly healed. And because that ankle didn't heal properly, I walked not in alignment. It threw off my hips, which actually affected my knees, which actually affected my back. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul says that we individually are members of the body of Christ. And there's so many things that are going wrong in the church. And really, the majority of those things have to do with we're being out of alignment with God's spirit, we're out of alignment with God's purposes, we're out of alignment with what God wants to do through the local church. And it seems like things are getting worse and worse and worse because culturally speaking, we're becoming even more focused on the individual. And it's very tempting as we start this sermon series on getting in shape, it's very tempting to hear it through an individualistic mindset. But I have an image that I want to give you. It was an image from a commercial that came out a couple of years ago. 
And uh, maybe some of you, you saw this, it kind of got spread around and it was really popular, but uh, it, it begins with this, this old man wakes up and he can barely get out of bed. He sits on the edge of his bed and you can tell that he doesn't want to get up. And all of a sudden he looks over and he, he sees a picture. At that moment, you don't see who is in the picture frame, but something changes in his face. And he gets up and he goes into the garage and he moves some boxes around. And then all of a sudden he discovers and finds what he's been looking for. And it's a, a kettlebell. You've seen these things before? It's like, it's, like a, it's like a hunk of steel with like a, a handle around it. These things, these things can be heavy and it's there on the ground. And he tries to drag it out. He can barely do it. And as the commercial progresses through the two and a half minutes, you see this elderly man trying to lift this thing. He could barely do it at first. He's just, just pulling it up. And the next day comes and he, he can barely get it just a little bit higher. And as the days go on and the weeks go on, he seems to get it up higher and higher. But now people begin to notice. His next door neighbor sees what he's doing, thinks he's crazy. In fact, she can hear him through the window of his garage at one point, lift it up and drop it and scream out loud. And his daughter shows up. And she thinks, well, well what, what, are you, what are you doing? And again, as the months go on, he is lifting this, this kettlebell. And finally, by the end, he's able to lift it up and, and push it outwards. And as it goes on, he keeps looking over at this, this picture in his garage. You don't know who it is at this point. And finally, it, it fades to black and comes back up and you see him now dressed up. It seems like it's in the middle of winter. The snow's falling. He's got this suit on. He's got a gift in his hand. He drives and he shows up at a house. Door opens up. It's his daughter. He walks in in his nice suit and this gift. And he looks up the stairs and there's this young girl. And this young girl comes bounding down the stairs, gives a hug to this man. He gives the gift. She opens it up and it's a star. And then I... I start to lose it. I just start getting emotional because then he picks, not the kettlebell, but he picks her up and lifts her up to the top of the tree. And she puts the star on the top of the tree and you realize, oh, that's why he's been working out. And the commercial ends and you finally see the picture and it's his granddaughter. And it kind of fades out and the tagline says, helping you take care of what matters most. I don't even remember the name of the company, but the commercial, it just gets me every time. And that image is the image that I want us to have as we move throughout this sermon today, that God is calling us to get in shape, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. And in fact, we're gonna talk about the S in the SHAPE acronym. Now, you've perhaps heard about uh, SHAPE. It actually came out of Saddleback Church. You know, Rick Warren was the founding pastor at Saddleback. Well, there was another uh, leader on staff there, and he developed this uh, SHAPE acronym alongside uh, Rick Warren. His name is Eric Rees, and SHAPE stands for Spiritual Gifts, Heart, Abilities, Personality, and Experiences. And they developed many years ago this acronym to help the local church, to help Christians understand how in a community we can get into shape by understanding, again, our spiritual gifts, our heart or our passions, our abilities, our personalities, 
and our experiences. And the goal of this sermon series is to take that, that idea, that concept, and contextualize it for our church, Bel Air Church, because we believe God is calling us to get into shape, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others. And in the commercial, what's remarkable is he works out for the sake of his granddaughter, but in the journey of doing all this for her, he actually experienced the benefits of working out. You too will find that if you actually set your heart and your mind that God is calling you to serve others, to be used to bless others, to encourage others, to be an instrument to which God's purposes and plan can be made for the sake of others, you will actually find that when you enlarge your heart to, to live into that reality, God will grow you spiritually. You individually will get in shape along the way. So again, as we dive into this sermon, again, I'm going to repeat it again and again and again. Uh, this is not just for you individually so that you can get in shape and never experience communion with other people. This is not for you to just somehow understand your spiritual gifts so that you can just have them on your resume. But ultimately, this is so that you can be part of what God wants to do in the world. A remarkable vision, a remarkable invitation. And so there's three things that I want to dive into. But before I get that, I want to read a section of Scripture. Again, it's that 1 Corinthians 12. It's a longer section. And this is where the Apostle Paul begins to unpack this idea of spiritual gifts in the body. I'm actually, I'm going to read the entire chapter. It gives us context. It enables us, you know, kind of in the, the beginning of the new year to settle into this idea. It's kind of like when you're beginning to work out, uh, whether it's in the gym or at a musical instrument or at a new task or learning a language, you've kind of got to, you got to start slowly. So let me read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then I'll share the three points I want to dive into. Okay, beginning verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, before you knew God, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one could ever say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. Paul goes on, this is verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For 
in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, both Jews and Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. So you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets and third teachers and then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. This, my friends, the reading of God's word, as we say every single week, thanks be to God. You know, I want to read this whole section because it is tempting to lift a verse or lift an idea out of scripture and forget its context. So important that the apostle Paul chooses in his letter to the church in Corinth when he talks about spiritual gifts, always to connect it to the body of Christ. And it always connects it to the fact that these are God-given spiritual gifts. And so the three things that I want to cover are this, that spiritual gifts ultimately are God-given in order to accomplish God's purposes. That's number one, God-given to accomplish God's purposes. Number two, that you can't separate the gifts from the giver and three, that Christians are the instruments through which these gifts are to be stewarded. All right, so the first one. Again, this reality that these are God-given to accomplish God's purposes. Now, I'm going to step aside for a moment uh, and share with you um, a class that I actually took about a year ago. And this class you might find odd for a pastor to take, but... Um, it was actually an online class that was offered uh, on leadership. And it was remarkable being able to take this class from a really remarkable, remarkable uh, leader 
who was actually the founder of the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard Business School. And uh, this really remarkable class on uh, leadership, on exercising leadership and practical leadership. And as he gets into the details of, of leadership in, in, in kind of the opening scenes of this video class that you watch on your own time, uh, it was remarkable because he says that so frequently when we talk about leadership, there's a temptation to look at great leaders in history and look at the particular attributes that they have and then try to model or emulate those attributes in our lives so that we can grow to be great leaders. And he says, that's fine, and that's good, and there's really a place for that, and it's really appropriate. But his approach, really fascinating, isn't to start with the attributes that make a great leader. He first starts with what are the needs that exist in a community that require leadership in the first place. And then he goes on and he says, if there were no needs in a community, if there was nothing that needed leadership, there wouldn't need to be leaders. He went on to say, he says, you know, if there ever existed to be a community or a family or an institution or a country or a school that had no needs, where everything was working perfectly, where there was harmony, where there was flourishing. He went on to say, this, this teacher at the Harvard Business School, he went on to say, that would be like heaven on earth. And at that point, I guess we would just rejoice in our blessings and continue operating in the harmony and the beauty of that life. And I remember listening to that and realizing, oh, there's a connection here. There's a connection to spiritual gifts. If you could say it this way, that spiritual gifts exist because there is a need in the world. And there's only one who can meet that need. There's only one leader who can lead through that need, and it's God. In fact, spiritual gifts are then the, the how of the why that spiritual gifts exist in the first place. Why do they exist? Because there is a need in this world until Jesus comes again, a need that arises in relationships that are divisive. When people need healing, when people need hope, when people need encouragement, when people need protection, when people need love, when there's needs that arise in relationships, in churches, in communities, in neighborhoods, in schools, in businesses, the needs are all around us. Let me say it this way. When you look out on the world around you, is everything running perfectly? I would guess you'd say no. I mean, we've just experienced the same two and a half years that everybody else has experienced, and it seems like the needs are getting greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. And there's all these solutions that the world is putting forth. Well, if we do this, if we do this, we can meet those needs. There are uh, partisan solutions to those needs. There are worldview solutions to those needs. There are entrepreneurial or invention uh, models of what thinking and doing that can be solutions to those needs. But ultimately, all of those, those solutions, they fall short. And God on the throne 
longs for us to know that only one, the maker of heaven and earth, can meet those needs in our lives. That all the things that we are trying to satiate our lives through, through shopping, through getting the right experiences, through having more accolades or more affirmation in our life, that we're trying to just fill these things that ultimately God longs for us to know that only God can meet those needs. And the, the how that God can meet those needs is that God gives spiritual gifts in order to accomplish those things that only God can accomplish. Now, this is a, this is a huge shift, I think, for many people when they think about spiritual gifts. In the same way that that teacher at Harvard presents this idea of a huge shift. Again, often people they think of leadership as individual attributes, qualities that we can kind of grow in our life. And I think the church falls into that, that category as well, where we think that spiritual gifts are just things that we just need to grow in our life, that we just need to take a spiritual gift test and then we'll find it. Oh, great. Oh, I'm this. I'm that. What are you? Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. There's a place for that. And we're actually encouraging you in this season to take a spiritual gift test. In fact, it's at belair.org forward slash shape. But the spiritual gift inventory or the spiritual gift test is only the first step. Because if you take the test and then never enter into relationships with other people where there are needs that God could meet through you and through the spiritual gifts that God gives you, those spiritual gifts will just stay dormant. It'll be like that elderly man in the commercial, never going to the garage, never looking at that photograph in the frame, never putting in the work, ultimately for the sake of others. And so again, to know that these are God-given gifts for God's purposes. Now, there's been moments in my life where I've experienced God do a remarkable thing through me and I've never experienced it again. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been the senior pastor here for nine years. Some of you have heard the story before that. I was a pastor at a, at a local church about 30 miles away uh, for about 11 years. In total, I've been doing pastoral ministry for 20 years. And there's only been one experience where I've, I've, I've experienced God use me to be part of somebody else's physical healing. Now, uh, I've taken spiritual gift inventories. Never has it come up that I've got the gift of healing. And so I want to be really crystal clear in this moment that God can do whatever God wants. Full stop. And you're going to hear things that I say that perhaps other pastors, perhaps here in Los Angeles or well-known pastors have said, can't happen, don't happen. In fact, when we get to spiritual gifts, this is, this is actually a very controversial topic because there's a lot of spiritual gifts like encouragement, mercy, hospitality, faith, generosity, those things, they're not controversial. But there's a list of nine spiritual gifts that I read in 1 Corinthians 12, which are the controversial gifts, healing, words of knowledge, tongues. And there's actually a very popular view right now called cessationism that believes that these nine spiritual gifts ceased at the end of the New Testament era. 
Now, I've done a lot of research in this area in Scripture. I've read a lot of books. I've listened to sermons. Uh, I, I've heard the various arguments from cessationists. And ultimately, at the end of the day, when I spend time in God's Word, after all these years of studying Scripture, I do not see how cessationism lines up with what is revealed in Scripture. Now, if you have a different point of view, let's talk. Email me. Call me. Would love to go to God's Word and talk through this because ultimately it goes back to my definition that I see in Scripture that spiritual gifts are God-given to accomplish God's purposes. And ultimately, God can do whatever God wants to do. Now, I know that we see out in the world uh, just some things that we might find very odd. We might see people who are healing others, but it doesn't seem like it's authentic. Maybe we've been part of communities where people speak in tongues, and yet publicly in that worship service, there's no interpretation. And we read in Scripture where it says there must be an interpretation. Maybe we see things where people have maybe abused spiritual gifts, not to serve the sake of others and build up the body of Christ, but to build up their own reputation, to build up their own fame. And so it's very tempting to look at bad examples of misuses of spiritual gifts and throw it all out. But my heart and my prayer is that we as followers of Christ would go to God's word, that we would take God's given direction to us from God's word. And that would be our starting point and our end point. And ultimately, when I read scripture, it constantly says that God has purposes. God has plans. God is accomplishing something in this world until Jesus comes again. And God's strategy is to do it through the body of Christ. I mean, think about that for a moment, that God has all the resources of being the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things. And God's strategy is to use you and me empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's purposes on earth again until Jesus comes again. So again, in that Harvard Business School leadership perspective, that leadership is all about first identifying what are the needs in a given situation and what are the leadership abilities that are needed to meet those needs, to fulfill those tasks. And when I translate that into a biblical view of the world, it's basically saying, what are the needs in this world? People are separated from God. They're separated from living in alignment with God's purposes. They're separated from flourishing of having an identity as beloved children of God. And so there's this deep, profound need that is all around us. And it's magnified. It's multiplied in so many ways. And God's leadership strategy is through the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you and me to meet those needs, not in our own strength, but through God's strength and through God's power. And the needs haven't ceased. So therefore, why would the spiritual gifts cease? Again, the needs seem to get greater and greater and greater. So I don't see any evidence in Scripture, nor any practical application around us in the world where there would be a need for God to cease using God's resources of the Holy Spirit's spiritual gifts 
to accomplish meeting the needs that God wants to meet. All right, a lot to unpack there. We can spend more time, you know, in the weeks and months ahead. Would love to have this conversation with you. But let me tell this one story again. So I've never, never, ever, ever, and all the spiritual gifts have never have popped up on that list, uh, you know, gifts of healing. I often get gifts of teaching, gifts of encouragement, gifts of faith, never gifts of, of healing. However, there was this moment. Uh, it was about, oh, six months after our annual houseboat trip that we used to lead in the high school ministry where a dad uh, called me up and he was furious and he wanted to set up a meeting about his daughter and he brings her in and I'm trying to rack my brain remembering, you know, what, what, what happened? Was there, was there some bullying going? I'm, I'm just, I can't remember what had happened. And when she show, showed up, I, I then remember when I saw her face, she wasn't a regular part of the group and I remembered, oh my gosh, this girl got injured on our houseboat trip. In fact, we took about 300 high school kids out uh, to Lake Mead out in the Nevada desert. And she was one of a group of kids on the back of a, um, a ski boat, you know, in those uh, inner tubes. And ultimately, as they were kind of doing loops and going around, uh, she had flipped off and, and landed awkwardly and broke her collarbone. And we had medical staff who were part of our team and they, they uh, helped, you know, get her safe and situated, ultimately got her to the hospital. Uh, they performed a, a surgery on her. We did some follow-up in the weeks and months ahead, but she wasn't regularly part of the group. And so after the six months, I had kind of forgotten about that experience, but ultimately she came in and her dad again was furious because he told us she wasn't healing properly. Now, that's devastating for anybody to ever hear. But in this case, she was one of the best volleyball players in all of California. And her career trajectory at that point as a sophomore in high school was hopefully to get a full ride to a Division I school and perhaps play for the Olympic team. And this injury had set her back. And he brought x-rays, literally, in my office to show me. He was yelling at me. He says, what are you going to do about this? He was threatening a lawsuit against the church. And I'm like this young youth pastor. I don't know what to do. And I just say, well, let's pray for healing. I got to tell you, I've never in any moment of my ministry up to that moment have ever just stopped and just said, well, let's just, let's just pray for healing. Now, I know many of you, you don't know me. Uh, you can maybe make assumptions about me, but let me just tell you, there's a lot of moments in my life where I have huge doubts that God could ever heal somebody miraculously. And I've always had that. I've always been suspicious of people who have been used by God for healing. I, I just, I, I, I've, I've always been reticent, but all of a sudden in that moment, something came over me in that moment. I don't know if it was the fear. I don't know if it was like there was no other option. He was throwing a lawsuit again. And I just said, well, let's just pray for healing. And perhaps it was because I was also in seminary at the time and I had gone through a class on, on miraculous healing, which I was very suspect of. But in that moment, just something happened. And I look back and I believe it was the Holy Spirit nudged my heart. God got a hold of me, grew my faith. I think that was a gift in the moment. And God just used me in that moment to lay hands on her and to pray. And I don't remember a word of what I prayed, but I remember that something just came over me and I just... I, it, 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 I don't want to say it was like an out-of-body experience, but it wasn't a prayer that, that felt rehearsed, 
Uh, it wasn't a prayer that felt memorized. It, it wasn't some magical incantation, but I just prayed boldly in the name of Jesus that she would be healed. The meeting ended after maybe 15 more minutes of conversation. You know, I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen. Am I going to get sued? Am I going to get fired? A week later, I get a phone call. And the dad is on the other line, and he's in tears. And he's saying over and over, he says, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know what you did. And I'm thinking, what's, what's going on? And then he says, we just got back from the doctor. They took x-rays. And it looks like she's never had a break on her collarbone in her life. He says, I'm looking at both of these x-rays. I took a, a picture with my phone for the second set. And I... I can't wrap my mind around what's going on here. It wasn't healing properly, and now there's not even evidence that it ever broke in the first place. And I'm thinking, thank God we're not going to get sued. Thank God I'm not going to get fired. I was young, I was selfish, perhaps in that moment. That was my first thought. But then the reality of the situation broke through, and I all of a sudden, then I realized that the greater reality, the greater truth, the, the true good news, had God really healed this girl's collarbone? Again, when you realize that there are needs that only God can meet, and God can meet those needs with God-given spiritual gifts to accomplish God's purposes, and if you are open to being used by God in those situations to meet those needs, if God wants to, God can use you in a powerful way by giving you, in that case, the gift of healing. Now, this isn't like uh, God gave me the gift of healing like I have a phone in my hand to just use and wield and, you know, at, at whim. It's not like a remote where I can have this power and turn things off and on and heal. No, no, that's not how things work. And I think that's one of the things that, that perhaps causes us to be suspect of some of these more miraculous, supernatural, charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit as we see them used in the wrong way. But I've got to tell you, again, when I study Scripture, that's, that's, it's not my personal experience that causes me to not believe that God has ceased giving spiritual gifts. No, it's as I study Scripture. Because I think there's this thing where we can fall into one of two camps. We can be all about the truth and we can be all about doctrine and we can study and study and study systematic theology. We can parse the Greek and the Hebrew. We can understand these massively mysterious and wonderful things of, of pursuing truth. Or some of us can be so focused on the spirit that perhaps we close up scripture and it's all about the experience, and it's all about being connected to heaven. But ultimately, Jesus, he uses this phrase that talks about people who are worshiping in spirit and truth. That God is calling us to be people who have sound doctrine, that study God's word, that aren't tossed to and fro by false doctrine or false teaching, but ultimately that we would be led to truth that is Jesus, that the living word, points us to the written word that we would be set aflame through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to understand the truth of who God is and of who we are in this life that God longs for us to live in and 
not either or, but and, that we would be people that would walk in step with, open to being used by God, overcome by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, I know this is a lot of time spent on the first purpose, but I think it's one of the most important that we have to understand that that spiritual gifts are God-given for God's purposes. God wants to accomplish so much in this world, and God gives gifts in order to accomplish those things. But this leads to the second point. The gifts and the giver, they cannot be separated. It's very tempting to use... um, Human language, of course, that's how we would do it, to to understand and describe God. We see this throughout Scripture. In fact, Jesus, when he teaches, he uses human language to describe God. But what's interesting is he often uses the word like. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. You see, it's similar, but it's not the same thing. And so the kingdom of God is like a pearl, but it's more than that. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a seed, but it's more than that. The kingdom of God is like a field or a a treasure, but it's, 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 it's more than that. You see, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we have to be very careful not to limit the gifts that God gives through the power of the Holy Spirit to how we understand gifts in our human existence. Because we've just gone through a season, again, if you're watching this live in January, we just came out of a season of gift giving and receiving. And so we know in this human life, when we give a gift, though it's given from us, the gift isn't us. You know, if I give my wife uh, something, you know, tickets to a play, let's say, those tickets, they're not me, though they're from me, they're not Drew Sam's. There's a connection, but it's not me. You know, she can uh, use those tickets and experience those tickets and love those tickets and, and, and think that oh, I, I'm so thankful that my, my husband knows me, that I love these things and these experiences. But ultimately, gifts and givers are separated in our human existence. And so often, we can mistakenly think that that is the same for spiritual gifts that somehow God as the gift giver is somehow separated from the spiritual gifts that God gives. And it's that temptation that I think causes us to veer off into bad theology and bad practice and think that those spiritual gifts are just things in our life to build ourselves up or for us to use or for us to want. And we forget the connection back to the giver. So, If we would go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, I'm not going to read the whole section, but just this one little part in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to this. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. It goes on and on and on. It talks about there is one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and it is God moving and activating and manifesting in the life of every single believer that is open to it. So again, when you begin to realize, first point, that spiritual gifts are God 
given to accomplish God's purposes, then you realize the second point that when you are open to being used by God to accomplish God's purposes, to meet the needs of the world around you in ways that you can't meet, but only God can meet through you, then actually it is God in you, the Holy Spirit in you, that is activating in such a way to meet those needs. You see, there's this intimacy, there's this relationship that you cannot divorce spiritual gifts from the gift giver that is God. And the more time that we spend in relationship with God, spending time in prayer, relying on God, spending time in God's word, moving throughout our life and our relationships, for example, saying, God, what are the needs around me that you see in my workplace, with my roommates, with my kids, with my grandparents, with my spouse, with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with this person? God, what are the needs around me that, that only you can see? And what are the needs around me that only you can meet? And when you begin to move throughout life praying that prayer, saying, God, give me those eyes, give me that heart, give me an openness to being used by you to meet those needs, all of a sudden you become an open vessel, an instrument in God's hands, constantly in contact with God, where God, who already dwells in you, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, is then activated in you to meet those needs. And in that moment in my office, like 10 years ago, there was this need. A girl's collarbone wasn't healing. God used me in that moment to meet that need. When I look back on that and I tell the story, it, it, it makes me want to be more open to being used by God more often. And I wonder if I've missed out on opportunities for God simply to use me because I'm so self-focused or I'm so wrapped up in the work that I'm doing. And that's not to say that I'm the only reason that I get in the way of things not happening. We have to be very careful that if things don't happen, if healing doesn't happen, if this doesn't happen, then it's somehow just the person's blockage. There's a, a, a mixture of things and a complexity of things, but it, just, it simply, I'll speak for myself, it causes me to wonder, have I missed out on things in my life when I'm not open to being used by God to meet God's purposeful needs in the world? And when you don't separate the gifts from the gift giver, you realize that, as the Apostle Paul says, it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit is now in you, longing to, to move you in powerful ways, to be an encouragement to somebody, to extend mercy to somebody, to meet the needs financially for somebody else, to speak truth, God-given truth over somebody's life who's, who's so distraught, who's so disturbed. You see, when you don't separate the gifts of the giver, and again, the first step, when you realize that these are God-given for God purposes, it leads to the third point, the final point, that these spiritual gifts are given to be stewarded through followers of Christ's lives. You see, all throughout Scripture, it says that the only people who can ever experience spiritual gifts are people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's evidence that says in Scripture 
that you don't receive all the spiritual gifts that you will ever experience in your life in that moment because the Apostle Paul says things like in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, eagerly desire the greater gifts. It seems like there's this ebb and flow that God might give you a spiritual gift in a particular moment, not for you, not for your reputation, not for your resume, but simply to meet a need that has arisen in your life around you, in the community around you. But there's this reality that now that the Spirit of God dwells in you through faith in Christ Jesus, this isn't something to just wield, but it's something to be stewarded. This is to build up the body of Christ. This is for the common good. This is to be part of what God is doing in the world. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're now justified. God looks at you and says, you are forgiven. Not because of your good deeds, but because of the perfect work of Christ, because of his sacrificial death. As it says in scripture, Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that you and I, we might become the righteousness of God. There's this great exchange that happens on the cross where Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness and gives us the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is in us. There are gifts that accompany God's spirit in us, that God wants to activate, that God wants to use. And so again, my hope and my prayer is that you would hunger for that, that you would yearn for that, that you would pray for that. And if you haven't yet, that you take a spiritual inventory test. Again, that's not a be-all, end-all, but it's a great first step. I've said it before, but again, if you go to belair.org forward slash shape, you can find out that spiritual inventory but even more important than that, begin praying right now, God, help me to see the needs around me. Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. Give me your heart so that I can be open to you using me to meet those needs in my life. Now, I love the fact that as we're starting this brand new season, talking about getting into shape as a group, and individually, we've got an opportunity to, to grow individually, but also grow together as a community. And again, to end with that image that I started with, remember that commercial? The elderly man, yes, he, he got in shape in the process, but he did it for the sake of others. Friends, my hope and my prayer is that you would experience that in your life in profound ways, not in your own ability, but through a spiritual ability that God gives you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So hang with us throughout the entirety of this sermon series. Looking forward to as we continue through this shape series. We've got the first one here after the intro last week with Pastor Mike Morgan. Next week is H. What's your heart? What are your passions? Let's dive in that together. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much that you have given us your son, Jesus the Christ, who is our all in all who is our Alpha, our Omega, our, our Sustainer, our Prince of Peace, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. And we thank you that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of you, the Father, he didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us to truth, but also to empower us to be used for your purposes in this world. God, would you grow in us a faith, a passion, a desire to simply be used by you, in all the areas that you long for us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. We say together, amen.